welcome to the Tech Times podcast, uh, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Technology Analyst. Steve, how you doing, man? How was your week? I am doing great. Yeah? It's been a good week so far, nice and productive, not too busy. Yep, yep, good. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, this past couple of weeks, I heard you got a new computer and they recommended you look into some folding at home. Yeah, I actually uh, when, like when after I set up the computer, hooked it up to my TV and whatnot, you know, um, got the right programs on it. Been playing with Autodesk Fusion 360, whatnot, playing a lot of video game or computer games on it. Um, but when I, when I shut it down at the end of the night or before I even shut it down, if I shut it down at all, uh, when I'm just admiring it, if you would, because it does look good, <laughs> sure. Um, I think, man. What, what could I be doing with this computer while I'm asleep or while I'm working or yeah. doing something other than, you know, playing on the computer? And right after I set up the thing, I get like an email from Corsair. That's who makes the computer. And they're like, hey, by the way, if, if you're looking to spend some of your uh, computing power on your fresh new PC somewhere, we've got a team for folding at home. Oh. And um, I'm sure you can explain folding at home better than I can, but I remember, and we've talked about this before folding at home with me goes as far back as the, uh, the, the PS three, the good one. Um, and when they discontinued support folding at home, discontinued support with, uh, Sony, the Sony PlayStation, it kind of like dropped off yeah. for me, but, um, Ben, I'm sure you can do it best. Sure. Explain what what is folding at home. I will try my best. So, so folding at home is uh, some research. Uh, this is the core of it. What they're doing is uh, trying to understand uh, protein molecules for certain diseases. Uh, it's a group of researchers, um, uh, and what they want to do and analyzing protein proteins is actually very very difficult. Uh, it requires an intense amount, uh, a significant amount of computing power. So what they this group of researchers decided to do a long, long time ago, like you mentioned, the PlayStation 3 is eons ago. Uh, what they decided to do, instead of centralizing uh, the um, the breakdown of the protein, they said, let me send these small packets to all over the, the entire universe. So these uh, individual packets can be analyzed at people's computer. Um, so what they do is they break down the entire project into smaller bite-sized projects. Those get distributed to people's computers all over the world, basically. And your computer, and like you mentioned, your downtime while the computer's idle, it can analyze these uh, pro proteins. Um, so the type of things that they're researching, like breast cancer, kidney cancer, uh, and recently, of course, they're looking at the uh, coronavirus, so breaking down the proteins right. within the coronavirus. Right. I know on mine, I have specifically selected it to target all work units, as they call them, yep. all projects associated with COVID-19. Okay. Um, and as far as I understand it, I'm just reiterating this, so hopefully you can clarify and confirm for me. The way I understand it is you hook up your computer with its vast processing power to the internet. You connect it to some research institute. Back in the day, I think it was Stanford University. Sure. Is it someone else now or is it still? Uh, they bounced back and forth. Washington University. Um, gotcha. Is doing You're right. Something. You, yep. you said that. But you connect your computer to the internet um, through folding at home and the uh, university that you're that you uh that folding at home is working with um 
sends your computer over the internet some work units, which I assume, which I think are uh, protein folding simulations. It's not so much protein folding because protein folding happens all the time and diseases don't come of it. Um, specifically, you know, our DNA is made up of multiple different proteins. Um, but what causes stuff like what causes bad things is the misfolding right. of protein. Right. And what the un- the university projects that folding at home sends your computer to do are simulations of the protein misfolding. Right. And it takes si- multiple snapshots of the process of the protein misfolding and then takes some data out of that and sends it back to the university. Yes, that, that, is, that, works? that is a very succinct way to uh, summarize the full the, the proteins that are being analyzed. Yeah, but it, it, it's a little simpler than that on the user's perspective. So right. for you a, just click start. I just download the, pro, the program and then I just say, OK, start, start folding. And that's it. So you can get more detailed. You can say uh, I want to attack or uh, support a specific virus, a specific project. Or you can say just fold whatever comes to me and magic happens. Um, right. Or and also there's a uh, we'll make it competitive. Let's say there's uh, teams that you can join so you can put all right. your efforts into uh, combined. So you do get scored. You do get workiness based on how many things you analyze. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. There was a like Linus tech tips was a, a big one that uh, started promoting his own team. Uh, there's a, a bunch of other groups uh, that they just, what they're doing is trying to get as many people together as they can uh, to start folding at home. Uh, speaking of yeah. which, do you have any of your stats on hand? I do. I do. It's actually on my TV right now. Before you get so, in that, we'll talk about, uh, let me, I just want to mention that the folding at home has grown significantly in the past half a year, six months or so. So now if you look at all of the uh, data that's being analyzed, the Foley and Home Network is the biggest, or excuse me, it's the fastest supercomputer super in the world. It tops every everyone else's supercomputer for amount of throughput that is processed uh, at, a, at any right. given moment. So just keep that in mind. Uh, right. This one article that I, that I got from Science Alert mentions, uh, it's faster than the top 500 supercomputers combined. So, well, well, yeah, because it is those yes. top five It's like, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the stats now that are overall stats. Right. Um, so like, it, I mean, my rank is 210,000, yep. computers yeah. in total. Correct. Like, Two point, almost two point seven million computers. That's essentially taking saying that folding at home has a supercomputer with two point seven million cores, <laughs> and each of those cores, because modern computers have multiple cores, has probably a handful of cores in it. With Correct. An insane amount of threads. That is, <laughs> yeah, it's it's insanely powerful. Yeah. That doesn't include the people that are kind of cheating with their home servers with uh, multiple right. cores. So, uh, but yeah, that's awesome. So I've been running it for quite a while. The show's uh, actually it doesn't show how long I've been on. So I'm at uh, a rank of 6,842. 
whoa you're up there uh i, I cheat a little bit so technically i have two computers at home that run it so one computer is idle a lot uh i let that run on a, on a light load so within folding at home gotcha. you can run a light medium and heavy load so that machine does best under a light load and that does some of my home server stuff like uh, managing the network and stuff but i've got mm-hmm. a, a a better rig that i do more intense like video editing and some gaming and stuff that I run on a heavy load and that's only at night uh, because I use it during the day. Actually, since I'm a teacher now, because my daughter can't go to school, uh, that's the computer she uses uh, for her um, education. Awesome. Uh, apparently, I've processed 11,000 work units, whatever that means. I feel great, though. Gotcha. 11,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I'm only at 120. That's not, incl- that's not counting my PS3 from back in the day, which... Yeah. I have no idea. Probably wasn't that. <laughs> At the time, the PS3 was insanely powerful. And was it like was. One of the most p- powerful computers that you could get to do this, which is why it came from the factory out of the box with folding at home already yep. on it. But I think that, and I, I, I hope we covered it a little bit, but I think the most difficult thing about folding at home is like, Somebody, you, you tell somebody, oh man, I've got this score unfolding at home and I've done so much research for this in, uh, institute to uh, help battle coronavirus or whatever. And then they're like, okay, so what's folding at home? Are you just doing your laundry? <laughs> and you don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. <laughs> I don't to... know how to tell people what it yeah. is. It just does stuff. I'm doing good things. You're, you're comp- uh, contributing your computer time to research. That's all you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel happy running it. I mean, it, uh, I, I got my electricity bill twice already, and I haven't noticed a blip in my electricity bill from running full throttle on both of these computers. Oh, um, so I, if, it feels like there's very little impact to my contribution to the world. So if if you're not doing this at home, you should. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, should we talk about some test bed stuff? Yeah, let me. I actually have uh, a, a pretty substantial test bed update. So. As you know, and as I've talked about for like the past 17 podcasts, not really, but it feels like it, um, we've, we've been out of the office and, and thus have had no access to the test bed. The test bed has been shut down because we can't physically be there. And when the pandemic started, uh, when, when the, you know, the quarantine started, um, we were not, shame on us, but AMT was not yet at uh, lights out manufacturing yet. So the test bed has official, officially been like shut down. Um, but it's not just us. A lot of people um, who've been running test beds, uh, especially related to MT Connect, um, have been shut down. So in the world of MT Connect, um, one of the providers of streaming MT Connect data that anybody can tap into if they have an open web browser connected to the internet uh, has been Mazak. And from what I understand, they haven't, they've had to shut down their test bed um, and their stream of MT Connect data. So Russ and Sharab saw this and were like, okay, while we can't get our, um, test bed up and running, we can get granted permission from Doug to go into the office for at least a day and, or at least a couple hours in the day to run some programs on our test bed, record that data stream 
and then run that data stream on our MT Connect uh, server stack that's powered by Raspberry Pis um, in a loop. So people from all over that are connected to the internet can tap into our uh, MT Connect data stream loop and have simulated MT Connect data rolling. Yeah, that's right. So that's awesome. That's what Sharab and I did last yeah. week. I think on Tuesday, we were in all day. Um, we ran the shortest program that I had loaded <laughs> to uh, the Pocket NC, which, funny enough, still went forty minutes because the last time I uploaded a, a, a G code program to the Pocket NC was when Elena was helping on the uh, on the test bed. And Sam Steele was as well. So they were five access programs that I remember sitting late one night at the test bed, um, waiting for this part to be finished machining, um, machined. And that uh, was a three hour program. Shara, fortunately, was there to remind me, you know, we're air cutting right now. <laughs> so you could just move like all of the feed overrides to like 300% and just max out the machine. We're not going to crash it. And he was right. So we yeah. cut like a, a, a three hour program down to like 40 minutes, which was really nice. It was a breath of fresh air. Cause I thought we were going to be there for a while. Another positive thing that's not related to like the whole stream thing, but running that, um, that program, that air cut, uh, was really great for, for me in the test bed, because the last time I ran that program, we actually had a work piece in there and we actually had a tool in there. And that was before, um, I got the B table fixed. Yeah. So the last time I ran that program, um, the B table had stalled and it kind of screwed up the, uh, the part that Sam and I were trying to make. So, um, running this air cut at uh, 300% feet override. Um, it's a little fast. We didn't run into any issues. The awesome. B table functioned perfectly. Good. So even though I've said this before, I'll say it again. If the thing is, the pocket NC is officially fixed. And it's <laughs> even though we're, we, we can't use the test bed right now, we could officially, we could start machining stuff. Awesome. Did right you uh, get any data off the robot arm also? Yeah. yeah. So. Sadly, we couldn't um, run both machines simultaneously. Sure. Just to prove to Sharab that I could, I did. But Sharab, because he was recording MT Connect, he could only record uh, data streaming off of one device at a time. So we did the Pocket NC first, sat around for 40 minutes while it was running the uh, program at super speed. And then when that finished up, he, he closed that recording and then he started. And then he was like, go ahead on the robot. And I just did some motions moved the robot around and uh he got some data of the robot moving as well and that was that but that's awesome i'm glad that now the test you know, yeah the mt connect institute with the help of the amt test bed is uh streaming simulated mt connect data to anybody who wants it yeah. And uh, which I imagine isn't that many right now, but it's there and we did it. Yeah. You'll be surprised because I mean, a lot of people are trying to set up applications uh, or set up uh, or have specific questions on what the data looks like and having this available one, you can see the data 
or mm-hmm. in this case, I mean, well, there's a slight, there's a skin on for it to, uh, so you can, uh, digest it a little easier, but if you want to go back to the actual XML code, you can interrogate the page. Um, also if you wanted to point applications to that data, you can digest the data in application right. too. So this, this does help a lot. Uh, yeah. and, and it's really just gives me and Sharab the warm and fuzzies because, you know, our little association in this big, powerful industry, um, was able to, to do such a thing. Yeah. You know, we were able to pick up the slack. You were essential employees for a day. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, we really were. And it felt good. It felt good. Yeah, we'll have Russ on actually maybe on a couple episodes to uh, talk a little bit more about that. I think that would be, be awesome. Yeah, he can, he can do this this project <laughs> a much better justice than I just did. Yep. Awesome. So let's get into some articles. Uh, I'm glad uh, we can talk about folding at home and some test bed stuff. Uh, I got an article from New Atlas. Um and they're t- interviewing uh, Williams Advanced Engineering. So they're basically a consulting firm. Now they're there. Looks like they split ways on their Formula One side uh, based on this article. Uh, but they are related or at least were related to Williams F1. Yeah, exactly. They were related awesome. to Williams F1. It looks like they're repositioning themselves with Formula E. And some of the oh. projects actually they're, aligns better with their project with Formula E. Uh, so they talk about a bunch of different things. And the interview was with their... Uh, managing director. Uh, let's see, what's his name? Uh, Craig Wilson. Um, and he goes over a bunch of different projects. One is their new new batteries that they're kind of excited with about, but I don't really care. Uh, they talk about their hydrogen powertrain for large uh, mining equipment. That's kind of interesting. Also, hybrid powertrains for marine applications. He said there hasn't been much demand up until recently, and there's a new demand on that. Uh, what I did find interesting was their um, improved cycle time for composite layups. Uh, with all their experience in uh, Formula One and transitioning to Formula E, they go through tons and tons of uh, composites. And what they're trying to do is actually just improve the manufacturability by reducing um, or increasing throughput by decreasing the cycle times. Uh, they have a couple of parts um, that are around 90 seconds from layup to finished goods. Uh, what they're doing is uh, somewhat of a traditional process of doing a hand layup, uh, they, but instead of the autoclave, they're actually pressing the material. So they have, I guess, hydraulic presses or electro presses that are uh, pushing down. So they have, I guess, dies that are... Um, uh, and you can push them apart. What are they laying? Like carbon? Uh, carbon fiber layup. Yep. And you can do that with a uh, with a press. Yes, yes, you can do that oh. with a press. It's pretty. Uh, there's a couple other companies that are experimenting with that. Uh, some startups that are doing that. So what they're doing is, uh, instead of putting in an autoclave and using pressure to okay. push into the uh, form, they basically have forming dies that push it, uh, and then gotcha. you can heat up the forming dies to accelerate the uh, resin. Uh, d- um, Process. So like an autoclave, just to get really basic and remedial, 005 with you real yep. fast. Um, an autoclave would would shape something and harden it just from using like temperature and pressure. Exactly. Uh, so heat. so an autoclave is a giant vessel, a big bottle, right? Right. Uh, you put in something that has a form in it. So if I have a, a bowl, I have a male uh a female form, and then I put in my prepreg or my carbon on top of that, mm-hmm. and which is still soft and flexible. It's still so correct. And I close the door to this big bottle, and I pressurize. I start cranking the pressure way up to like a thousand psi. That forces the um, the carbon uh, layup into that female cavity. Um, okay. And then I apply a temperature 
uh, it's already at a certain temperature because I've pressurized it, but I increase the temperature a little bit more that allows the resin to cure. So the okay. forming comes from the pressurization and then the curing comes from the temperature. So it's like, like when, um, oh man, it's kind of far-fetched, but, uh, you're kind of like baking, yeah. baking it on. It's, or, that's once that's half of it. You're baking it. Right. So if I have okay. cupcakes, if I'm making cupcakes, the temperature <laughs> allows the, uh, dough to cook. But if I want to take a specific form, I need to pressurize it to force it in that form. Gotcha. So like they do it's like similar to like how they put on like Cerakotes and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting that uh, I think going forward, there's a lot more drive to get the cycle down, cycle times faster to uh, reduce costs. And that's one of the biggest things. One, you have the cost of the autoclave itself. I mean, mm-hmm. you have big, um, heavy machinery that you've got to pay for. So you got your upfront cost that you've got to amortize over your parts. And then you've got the processing time. So if you're able to reduce the time to get into the oven and match something more like a forming process. So this would match very similar to like a, an auto automotive forming process for like your fenders and things like that. Right. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting that, uh, you know, these guys are getting into that and with a lot more companies getting into, so like, you know, you have Koenigsegg with their, uh, carbon fiber wheels that are really, really expensive, but showed a direction that Ford could do on their, um, high-end Mustangs that they've got carbon fiber wheels also on a, you know, $70,000 car. Yeah. That's not that expensive uh, wheels. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty expensive, well, what, but, it, but it's still like the 10th of the yeah, price. Of exactly. Like Koenigsegg. So it's only a matter of time that you're going to see significant more carbon fiber applications. And that that's uh, wild, especially when you look in the, you know, the hundred thousand dollar ish cars, not the cars I'm looking at, but of course, right. you know, the high end super, right. uh, actually not, we won't say a high end supercars, but you know, expensive race, uh, uh, sports cars that'll see significant more carbon fiber applications. Yeah. How wild is it that, you know, the past few podcasts we've spoken about now we've spoken about, you know, carbon fiber going into mass production and in becoming like the, the, the use of carbon fiber in mass production being less and less expensive. Yeah. Um, and, and like we did last episode, or I think the episode before, um, generative design and additive being used to get really organic, but lightweight and strong um, suspension geometries. We're going to have like so much Formula One technology in cars in the near future. Yeah. And yet we're going to lose the gas. In. And one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about, you know, what was our dream car weight? You know, I think this is a yeah. uh, a paradigm shift of what the bottom threshold for car weight could be. You know, we've got uh, achievements, like you said, through uh, generative design that could lead to printing parts uh, lighter or if generative design would go the other uh, different routes of different subtractive manufacturing techniques, yeah. but also implementation of carbon fiber into the cars, too. So, you know, one ton vehicles, you're going to start shifting below that as your average uh, weight of your car drops right uh speaking of additive you had an article from america makes uh yes i do have uh not from america makes okay. but uh america but, makes has had a, has a really cool competition going on right now and i'm yeah i'm sorry i'm still distracted by cars you know <laughs> i miss <laughs> my car every time <laughs> but it, it's wild how far technology has come because i think one of the coolest muscle cars from I, my favorite muscle car from the 1970s sure um 
is the Oldsmobile Cutlass 442 <laughs> with the W30 package. Oh man. It had something like close to 500 cubic inches of engine. That's a lot of that displacement. Thing. It was absurd, absurd amount of displacement. Yep. And my car, which was built in 2014, is known as one of the slowest sports cars on the market. <laughs> it decimates the Oldsmobile 442 <laughs> in the in the uh from 0 to 60 and the quarter mile. Yeah. This is like a yeah. 500 or 500 horsepower muscle car. Anyway, all right. So, my article from Business Journal um is highlighting America Makes unveils top face mask contest designs. So, America Makes America Makes has this um a face mask design contest going on about just just who can design you know the most efficient, the easiest to produce, the coolest uh, face mask uh, amidst this pandemic that sure. we have going on. And America Makes, based out of Youngstown, Ohio, um, they've got some serious uh, competitors. Like some of the people who, some of the organizations that are um, providing. Um, Entries are Alliance PCB Solutions, uh, South Carolina, um, Vader, no, um, Carnegie Mellon University. Nice. Um, the National NIST, of course, is getting in on this. Um, but there's, you know, they've got to follow, they can't just go in all willy nilly and design uh, some random mask. They, they've actually got some pretty serious. Uh, requirements uh that they need to follow yeah uh to make these masks but the products uh the 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 masks themselves that they're producing for this competition are really cool and impressive not only in performance but like the way they look yeah and hopefully the comfort as well some of them are really wild looking designs sure uh kind of look like four barrel carburetors and stuff for somebody's (laughs) face and velocity stacks but it's just it's some it's just a, a nice ho- a highlight on uh, a really awesome contest that uh, competition that America makes has going on right now. Yeah, and I'm super excited for the efforts for the uh, getting PPE equipment to the medical workers. What they did is, uh, in addition to that competition, they set up this whole mm-hmm. infrastructure where if you're a uh, medical worker or a hospital, you can enter your needs into this database. If you're a manufacturer, you can enter your capabilities. Or if you're a designer, you can enter in your designs. And what they've been working with is the um, uh, FDA and um, uh, some of the other medical groups to get these uh, new designs or these requirements uh, fast-tracked and um, uh, processed through uh, to say uh, potentially fit for use, but also connecting manufacturers with um uh, medical people so they can get equipment that they need. So right. their matchmaking process and their connection to the, uh, to the government to get these, uh, designs approved for some limited use was very, uh, very useful for the, uh, for the yeah. medical workers. That's awesome. How wild is it that, you know, in the near future hospitals, along with their multi-million dollar MRI and CT scanning machines, along with the technicians that operate them, hospitals are probably in the in, in you know the next few years probably going to have multi million dollar super fast additive machinery with a technician <laughs> on site that has to make you know a medical solution for an individual patient yeah, within I a mean, couple hours. I mean, it would be great. I mean, they're already doing some of that for implants and 
you know, um, uh, joint replacements, that type of stuff. So yeah, maybe, yeah, we'll see. I just hope this additive out- man. It's the real. It's not the real, but it's it's you know it's showing to be a, a real hero in this pandemic. Sure, sure. Uh, the article got the article I've got is a little more old school. Uh, subtractive manufacturing. It's an article from Canadian Metalworks. Uh, my favorite metalworks of all Canadian. Uh, they talk they're about a great publication. <laughs> they're underrated. They're really good. Uh, and they talk about five axis control. So do you know the full power of your five axis control? Uh, so uh, it's the dilemma I've always faced. And one of the great reasons why we've got a five axis machine at uh, in our test bed is the increased capability of being able to do something five axis. So, you know, in your traditional machining operations, even if you're if the requirement is only to do two or three axis, being able to deburr or break edges and things like that in machine before having to do a separate setup or manually do that while other machines are running is surprisingly useful. Uh, but the article goes over uh, some interesting um, uh, needs and uh, challenges as you're doing some five axis machining. One is you know vector programming. So now, not only do you not have or not just the position of the machine. Uh, so now you've got to include um, directions. So vectors, position, and uh, uh, direction and length. So uh, I think it's useful that if you're transitioning to five axis, uh, you know you don't have just um, uh, points. Now you've got to include another set of data points, uh, data in, in your uh, location. Uh, so sure. I thought that was useful in talking about that. But also the, when you're when you have to do compensation for your tool, now you've got to compensate in a much uh, different uh, set of vectors also. So something to keep in mind also. Um, so the app, the di- pictures that they show are, you know, ball end mills, which is probably most of your applications if you got a five axis. But um, and they talk about the uh, different positions that are in contact with the part. Um, and also uh, doing different compensations. So as you're machining with a ball end mill or uh, other tools, you have different contact angles of um, that are engaged. So they talk about compensating in different directions. Um, and one of the uh, other tools is specific to the uh, manufacturer in this application. In the article, they're using Heidenheim uh, controls. Uh, they, and they talk about when they're tools for contouring. Uh, so it's important that, uh, you know, they when you get into uh, five-axis machining, those are... Uh, a couple of interesting transition points for and that are different from traditional three axis. Uh, and it's important to keep in mind too. So if you want that nice, smooth contoured surface, you know, your, um, your vector programming is pretty important. Uh, also your compensation, you know, you've got these fairly unique parts or fairly unique tools that you've got to compensate for in, uh, not only position, but also direction that are, uh, uh valuable. And, uh, and if you're doing true five axis machining, you're, part is probably going to be pretty expensive. So you don't want to mess that up as you're yes. machining it. So I uh, definitely want to utilize your machine for the full capability uh, for getting complex parts, but putting simple parts on there just so you don't have to deburr and break edges, just valuing that too. So I thought it was a pretty good article. Um, I thought I'd pass it along. No, that's really great. I mean, I can't, I actually, I'm looking forward to reading that one. Yep. Uh, well, uh, and the podcast with one of your articles. I think you've got a, a good one we can end with. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know how good it is, but uh, let me let me cue it up here. Um, I I really just thought it was funny. So from Design World, or at least uh, Design World actually had a meta meta article. They have um, this article that's uh, 
uh, nine examples of how additive manufacturing, what additive manufacturing is doing to fight COVID-19. And, and one of their examples is, could, or one of the articles that they feature poses a question, could coating surfaces with copper kill the COVID-19 virus? <laughs> oh, no. And yeah, I'm not a doctor, obviously. <laughs> um, and I really haven't worked too much with copper, but I've, I've, Unfortunately, uh, seen enough 3 a.m. infomercials uh, <laughs> informing me of how much how good copper is for your body and uh, just what a healthy thing it is to embrace in your life. But um, I don't know, man. A lot of a lot of companies trying to sell you like copper socks, and there's that lady Kathy with the copper pan and whatnot. But uh, yeah, this this article is some some uh, research being done out of Australia. Some research institute is not don't, oh, uh, claiming the antimicrobial uh, properties of copper um, by plating stuff like door handles uh-huh. and bathroom faucets. I guess uh, could help limit that. And it's like, you know, we we don't see much of this uh, now. Um, and I say that only because in the past, a lot of door handles and, and knobs and stuff were made of brass. Sure. And I think you don't see it as much anymore is because styles have changed over time. Right. Um, you know, we embrace these days, uh, stainless steel, all the things, especially in the kitchen. Um, but we, we like the, the modern look of stainless steel as for like in, you know, the 20th century, the mid 20th century brass was everywhere, at least in buildings and in the household. And I think one of the great things of brass is brass is antimicrobial. It's not fast acting, but if somebody with a dirty hand touches a doorknob that's brass in, I think it's something like four to eight hours, whatever bacteria is on, was left on that uh, brass doorknob is dead. Ah. Like brass kills stuff like that. And I think this research institute out of Australia claims the same thing out of copper um, as so as do a lot of 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> infomercials. <laughs> but uh, I wonder if that was sponsored by the Copper Institute of uh, Australia. <laughs> no, man. You know, it, uh, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, my friend uh, works for um, uh, a company that does a lot of uh, finite element contract work. And he sent an article that uh, Australia is getting into more advanced drones. So they have a contract with Boeing and uh, they're yeah. getting into like offensive style type drones. I was like, wow. Yeah. Australia is taking the lead on this. And at the same time, Australia wants to sell me uh, copper plated uh, door handles. So I don't spread <laughs> yes. the coronavirus. I, somebody, I mean, somebody needs to check in on Australia. <laughs> they, they had that fire earlier this year. Yeah. Um, um, and then, yeah, but, but what you're saying about the drones, I put that in tech trends weekly uh, last week. Uh, Australia has a AI powered drone. Yep. And Let's let's think about where that could go for a second. Everybody's, you know, hopefully you've watched the movie Terminator and Terminator 2. The rest of them, I'm not sure, are very good. Don't watch the other but, ones. But uh, it doesn't take a genius to think that it's it's not. It, it probably isn't a good idea if we give some AI power uh, powered killing machine um, 
the green light to, uh, you know, launch brimstones down upon (laughs) unsuspecting terrorists. I mean, probably wouldn't be that bad of an idea, but at the same time, it's like, it, it, it's something doesn't sit well. No, it's very no. Skynet. It, it seems strange. I mean, the just removing humans from the decision making process on something that significant, it's it's tough. By the way, what's your favorite Terminator movie? Oh, is it Terminator? Is it T2? Mine, mine is Terminator 2. I really like Terminator Salvation, one with Christian Bale. Really? I, I just like the grittiness of it and at the yeah. war. Uh, and I like Christian Bale. T2 is really, really good still. It's hard to beat that. But Terminator Salvation's. Uh, that might be an unpopular opinion, but I like Terminator Salvation. Fair enough. Now I'll go back and watch it. I don't ever think I saw it. Too. It's just the first two were just so good. It's so good. That, that, that it, even if the uh, like the other the Salvation and yep. some of the other more current movies were um, well above average, they weren't excellent the way the first and the second were. Correct. Correct. They set the bar too high. Yeah, they really did. All right, man. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Where can they find more info on us? They'll find more information in description below if they want uh, to check in on your LinkedIn account or um, we'll throw in a link to to, uh, (laughs) if anybody wants to subscribe to the AMT Tech Trends Weekly Update. Yep, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and also if you go to amtnews.org, you can find all the info about us too. That's where it is. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Today's a mess. <laughs>